Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hey, welcome back. First of all, I want to take this time to speak to our Australian listeners. I am sending you my most sincere wishes for the bushfires and the firefires to stop soon, and I hope that you are taking care of yourselves. And for this week on the podcast, we have Yang Yu, a data analyst turned product designer. Yang was actually referred to me by Christy, another podcast guest. So if you ever have anyone you love to see on the Arts Podcast, just DM me at the Arts Podcast on Instagram and we'll make it happen. So here's some background on Yang. She got her undergrad degree in civil engineering at Carnegie Mellon, started her post-college career in consulting at Deloitte as a data analyst, and then pivoted into design, which she really enjoys. Her journey into product design has been a combination of self-teaching, invaluable support from mentors and sponsors, and opting into opportunities along the way, which we will dive all in on the episode. Hey, Yay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you have had a pretty interesting journey with a couple of transitions. So I would love to hear more about you, what career you were in, and what you're up to now. Yeah, so I actually started by studying civil engineering. That's what I got my bachelor's in in college. I always knew that I really like building things and contributing things that are bigger than myself. So that was what I thought I wanted to do. And then my first job out of college was actually in consulting for the federal government. I started as a business technology analyst, what they call the BTA at Deloitte, and worked there for about two and a half years. And then during my time at Deloitte, I actually switched careers into being a designer and ultimately um, found a job at Capital One and worked as a designer, product designer for about a year and a half. Um, And then currently I actually just switched to being, again, a product designer at a startup called Anchorage, which is a digital asset custodian in the crypto space. That's really awesome. And I saw that you're actually the first in-house designer at the SF startup. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty, I think this latest change is a pretty big leap and something that I'm really excited about in my own career. So let's rewind back a little bit because a lot of my clients and I think a lot of listeners tend to be in traditional careers like engineering. So how did you know that engineering wasn't a good fit for you? And then we can talk about how you realized that design might have been the best next step for you. Yeah, I think what I realized was about junior year of college, I guess junior and senior year of college when everyone started going to job fairs and applying for that first job, as well as the internships. And I remember going through, so I went to a college that was very, very um, heavy in the technical and the engineering side. Yep. So they did provide a lot of resources and a lot of good companies that came to recruit. Um, So I went to the job fairs and walked around and looked at what jobs were available to me as a civil engineer. And I just remember I have gone through the interview process for them and nothing was super exciting to me, I thought. I know a lot of my colleagues had gone into, for civil, a lot of people go into kind of construction management or some kind of more like structural design. And the classes to me, I thought were interesting in theory when I was practicing them during classes or learning about it in classes. But ultimately when it came to jobs, kind of nothing was, didn't feel like the right fit. And it actually took me about a year into my career in consulting to realize, yeah, that I wanted to do something more creative. And there was actually kind of a path forward for the things that I liked doing on the side, which was illustration and drawing wireframes and sketches at the time. Mm. So you were doing these sketches and wireframes on the side for fun? Yeah. So in consulting in general and at my company, there was this kind of 80-20 rule where said that 80% of your time should have been devoted to kind of the client projects that you're mainly on. And then the other, the rest 20% of the time should be devoted to more what we call initiatives or business development for the company. So for that 20%, I had, I chose to do what we call a graphic facilitation at the time. 
um, an illustration for various marketing materials. So it was kind of like I had my main job and my main client project. And on the side, I found these opportunities to kind of support in the ways that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I mentioned graphic facilitation was where you may have a client meeting with a lot of, I don't know, executives or top clients that are sitting in a room together and just having a normal business meeting or board meeting. And the graphic facilitator is someone that comes in and kind of draws out on a big piece of butcher paper kind of what what the conversation is like and what are the main points. So by the end of the meeting, the client has this nice summary and visual graphic representation of what was talked about and the key takeaways. So I think that was something that as a company, we had provided a service that we have provided to a lot of clients and they really enjoyed. So that was something that I got involved in. That's really cool. So in terms of like graphic design and these illustrations, were they things that you've always liked to do or did you kind of study upon it on your own or like took courses or did you just go for it? Thinking back there, so I guess as a child growing up, I did go to take, I did go to art classes, do painting classes and stuff. But I guess throughout the time between mostly high school and into college, I didn't really I didn't really do anything to study that or um, that didn't really keep up with the studies in college. So ultimately, I think it was something that I um, I remember browsing on Instagram and being really gravitated towards a specific visual style and a specific illustration style that I was seeing. So I had some illustrators or uh, artists that I was looking up to and I really liked their style. So I had actually gotten an iPad myself and an Apple Pencil and had just drawn some sketches similar to that. But yeah, I think the first time I remember really doing it for work was um, in my first client project that I was on. I was more of a data analyst, a very numbers heavy. And I remember working on this product that I had some ideas about, but wasn't sure how to communicate it to leadership. So I'd actually drawn on my iPad like a couple of sketches and thinking back now, it was kind of wireframes of what my ideas and had shown them to leadership and that really, really stuck and gone through. So it was a surprise to me that, you know, something like this hand-drawn, hand-drawn illustrations does make a difference in the very kind of student-tied business world. Mm, that's really awesome. And then how did you make that transition within your company in terms of from going from a data analyst to more of a designer? And also, if you could talk a little bit more about the barriers in terms of, because I think oftentimes we think that a creative career is not feasible, right? So how were you able to see that it was feasible and then make it into reality for yourself? I'd say the first point of, I'll call it validation that I remember getting, um, since I was just doing on the side, it was something that I did enjoy and put time into, but wasn't sure Mm -hmm. where this was going to. The first time that I felt like I had validation was after kind of the first or two the first one or two projects that I did, I started getting approached and asked to do more of them for various client projects. So I think that to me was a sign that, oh, this is not just something that I enjoy, but can also lead to maybe something greater that I can build upon. And in terms of transitioning within the company, I'd say this part of my career journey was a bit different than other career transitioners, I feel like. I did remember looking internally, and ultimately I did make that transition internally, but it was it was pretty challenging thinking back. So one thing I did was I had established a relationship from one of the, the PPDs or the partner principal director, basically the people that are at the highest level of the business hierarchy at our company they kind of have the most leverage on helping you get to certain projects or helping you out with your career. And for some of the client projects that I worked on, I remember um, him being the one that had reached out and asking if I can work on this project or, oh, this client really likes this style. Can you do something similar for them? So once I established that relationship and that trust with him, I had actually reached out and asked for support to take um, a UX class. And I knew that so it was something that I really enjoyed, but I wasn't sure where I could actually take it to in terms of a career. So whether that's illustration or whether that's more design. So I knew that taking a class would actually give me more of that confidence and figuring out, okay, what are all the career paths mm. and what can I take? 
And another point that was challenging was when I decided that I did want to go down this route, the first thing that I wanted to check off in my mind was, okay, how do I get that actual designer role? And to do that, there was a certain, um, within my company at the time, there was an in-house kind of design agency um, that was the, what's called the digital studio. But I had applied to get in. I had talked to people that was working there or that were already designers there. But ultimately, it was difficult given some things that were outside of my control. So they said they already hit headcount. They have limited projects, so they couldn't take on everyone. So that was kind of, uh, that was disappointing to me. And I had tried several times to kind of make that switch. And I guess in on one side, it did feel like, oh, is this something that's hindering my, you know, my journey to become a designer? Like, where do I go from here? So ultimately, I had decided to look for some opportunities outside. So ultimately, I did... Um, through the help and sponsorship of some leadership, I did make my way onto a client project where I was a designer. And I worked there for about a couple of months before I really started to look for opportunities outside of Deloitte, because I remember feeling like I still, I, I was newly like really fresh in this career, wasn't really sure what I was doing. And I think at times I was learning from kind of my own bad habits. Mm, what do you mean by that? Like, kind of before to learn from other designers and learn from a team um, on how things should be done. Because working as I was one of two designers on this very small team, I remember it feeling like it didn't quite feel like the right way that we were working with the rest of the team. Like we we're being asked on very specific tasks, whereas a, a large part of design is taking that big picture look and, you know, working on a better user experience overall. But I was being asked to work on kind of very small minute visual things so in general I knew that you know I wanted to learn from a bigger team and a more more mature designers basically around me um, so that was when I knew that I wanted to look at other opportunities as well yeah and thanks for sharing kind of more of the behind the scenes um, and it sounds like you had definitely have moments of you know how am I going to make it make this work is this gonna work out for me I'm curious for you, kind of what kind of fears did you have to work through? Because you were also, you know, transitioning from something like pretty technical that you had, you know, years of experience with into something that was relatively new. Yeah, I think some fears was, one of my fears was definitely um, just having self-doubt and whether this was something that I could pursue as a long-term career. I think at one point I knew that I did have something to contribute, that it was something that was a valuable skill to projects because I was being asked to do it. But at the same time, you know, there's so many, there's so many really, really talented illustrators out there. If you go on Dribble, if you go on, you know, any, I don't know, design site, you'll see like really amazing portfolios. And I think that was one point that seeing other designers' portfolios sometimes kind of got me down because, you know, seeing how much people have achieved already early on in their career, whereas I was just taking a turn. I was just starting out. I think even to today, there's some time when I, it comes time to kind of uh, work on my portfolio again um, and looking at a lot of designer examples out there. It can be Im intimidating almost, but knowing that, you know, a lot of what I've worked on and what I've gained skills as a designer over time is not something that can just be shown within like within one screenshot or something. Mm. Yeah. Comparison is a thief of joy. Also, I checked out your website and it looks really, really awesome. Oh, thanks. You also mentioned that your journey into product design has been a combination of self-teaching and valuable support from mentor sponsors and opting into opportunities along the way. So I love to explore those three things more in detail. If you could talk more, especially for, you know, current listeners right now, they often we'll have to do a combination of these things. And so I think it'll be really helpful to hear your experience of how you went about it. So in terms of self-teaching, what were the things that you self-taught to yourself and how did that look like? Yeah, I'd say that I think self-teaching and learning in general was the very first step that I took when I um, explored this career path. I remember reading up on a lot of blogs and medium articles and looking at people's portfolios when 
I was kind of figuring out, okay, what are all the design disciplines? What can I go into? What are my choices? And I think there, I mean, nowadays there's so many resources online and especially in, I think the general field of product and design, there's a lot of, you know, people have written up very specific case studies on the projects that they've done and even go into very specific details within their portfolios. And that was, I think my biggest takeaway from all of that was that it's really, really for um, product design, it's really not just about the visual and what you see on the page. It's the whole, it's the entire process of user research and really figuring out the insights from your users and learning from your mistakes and your, the wireframes that you draft up and um, going through that process and explaining that process in detail is the most important part. Mm. And other than a UX class that you took, were there any other classes that you took? Um, so I actually took two in the process. So the first one that I took was um, called UX Research and Strategy. So that kind of gave me a foundation in kind of the design 101, as well as the everything that goes into research. What are the different research methods? How to approach that process starting out? So the very beginnings of a project where you know almost nothing about users. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second course that I took was um, on interaction design. So that was more about the rest of the process. It kind of um, complemented each other, the two classes, since interaction design was more about how, what are the tangible ways that you can draft up and what, what's the process after identifying your problem and brainstorming solutions. Got it. I love how much self-initiative that you had, right? Because oftentimes what I hear from um, others is that there seems to be like a lack of time and as well as, you know, I'm so tired by the end of the day, I don't know how I'm going to fit these like self-teaching or self-learning things in. So how are you able to find the time for it as well as keep up with the motivation and, you know, overcome the procrastination, which is, I think, something that a lot of career changers tend to face. It's a very common challenge. Uh, yeah, so that's something that I definitely felt in the process, especially in consulting where sometimes, um, yeah, the work goes after hours as well. So I think one thing that had helped me in the process was going back to that kind of 80-20 breakdown. Much of the time that I spent on kind of doing the illustrations was was after normal work hours, and I would take it back. I would bring my iPad around, um, or if I would, I'd take some time during the workday to kind of go into a nook and just do some of that work. Um, it was the stuff that I really enjoyed, so it, it didn't feel as much as, oh, this is additional work that I have to tack on after you know business hours. When it came to that twenty percent within consulting, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, helping to write white papers, helping to write articles or do business development or more, more traditional initiative work. And I remember finding um, the illustration stuff that I really enjoyed and realizing, oh, this can fill up my 20%. And it already was because I did enjoy doing it. Aside from that, I think it was just the, the motivation to feel like I need to take this further or I need to constantly be progressing or making progress and trying to kind of figure out the the fuzziness of you know what's coming ahead I think personally I'm just my personality is that I really like to keep moving forward and making progress and feeling like I'm you know being productive so it was that that fear of kind of the unknown of the future that was also pushing me to to bring more clarity into my own career yeah, sounds like growth is really important to you. And I think you brought up a really great point in that you can often find things that are related to what you want to do in the future at work. I think people tend to often find themselves in two situations, which I also found myself in is one is that you're really bored at work and you have a lot of time. And so that's where you can kind of use that time to, you know, upskill. I remember taking like a writing class back when I was a growth marketer. Uh, I was exploring, you know, what, it, what would it be like if I was like a full-time writer? And so it, yes, it correlated with work and it helped with work, but ultimately it was more of an investment in my future. And another situation is that people are really busy at work. And so when that happens, it's like they can schedule out time outside of work or do more of that exploration on the weekends. For you, was there a particular strategy or like 
productive tactic or anything like that that you found helpful to create the space for you to explore what you might be interested in outside of work? Yeah, I think for that, I didn't have anything strict that I followed. It was kind of, if there was another project that came up, actually thinking back, a good number of the projects that I had worked on for illustration kind of did have a pretty specific uh, timeline that I was working with. And I remember feeling that kind of really getting caught up in my schedule um, once in a while. So um, in terms of time management, I actually don't think I went about it in the best way. Sometimes it would go into pretty late into the night or personally, I do enjoy working on that type of work in a different environment. So taking that into a coffee shop on the weekends or always like kind of Saturday and Sunday mornings to kind of wake up and be productive and kind of a change of scenery would help. Mm. So now that you talked a little bit more about self-teaching, can you talk a little bit more about the support you've gotten from mentors slash sponsors? Because I felt that um, building relationships is actually like the best and the fastest way to get to whatever you want to go into next. Looking back on my career path and the switches that I made, at every step along the way, I think there was there was always someone that looking back had really helped me in this journey. I mentioned the kind of someone at the leadership level when I was at Deloitte, you know, reaching out for uh, kind of, yeah, asking for my help on certain projects for the support on those initiatives. And in return, I was, um, when I knew this was something I wanted to pursue, I kind of reached out and asked for additional opportunities to do that. So I think there was a talk that I went to at one conference that had really um, explained the difference between mentors and sponsors. I think one of the first things that we do when transitioning in careers or looking at different jobs is to look for a mentor, someone that's kind of leads the way and has done this before. Um, and that is super important. And I'm actually in the process of you know looking for that right now. But I think the difference that they had mentioned in sponsors in that Sponsors are figures or roles, not just the path that you want to pursue, um, but something that someone who's willing to reach out and help you, whether that's financially or recommending you to an opportunity. Because in the business world um, and in how the business system works, oftentimes, you know, hierarchy does make a difference at the end of the day, even if a lot of companies are trying to change that. Yeah, I think finding or looking for sponsors or leadership who, who really sees the value in what you do and has that trusting relationship with you. And oftentimes you'll find that they really do want to support you in getting there or getting to your next career step. So even if um, they don't, may not reach out intentionally and ask you that, I think it is, it was important, at least in my career path, looking back, just to ask for those opportunities. Um, so I had asked for specifically, hey, I really want to take this class to learn more about UX design. and they're willing to kind of help me out financially, as well as later on when I asked if I can, if you could help me get on this specific project where, you know, there was a de design heavy component. Yeah, that, I think that was one of the most crucial steps to starting out and getting that first design role. Definitely. And a common fear that people have is cultivating these relationships, right? And you know, of reaching out. So what would be your tip in terms of start building these relationships? Is it asking for coffee? Is it setting up a chat together? How did you do it? Looking back, because this was a relationship that kind of developed more naturally, because there are times when it actually got pretty hectic when I was asked to do this other project, and I would be brought into the office, and he would give me kind of all these different points about what to include and what were the requirements that the client was asking for and that we wanted to provide. So it's kind of a, I, I remember getting called into his office sometimes and just kind of being a sponge and absorbing all this information at once. So a lot of those meetings came up, but of course that wasn't really conducive to, hey, can I you know, ask for this or that? Mm -hmm. I think naturally moving forward, he actually, I remember him um, reaching out and asking, you know, do you think um, you're happy in your career right now? Because once you become a valuable resource to the company or to your team, they'll, you know, they want to do whatever it takes to help you grow and keep you within the company. So I think bring that up as a request, kind of 
uh, was more natural with someone that I'd worked with over a long period of time. I also did reach out. Um, I think I grabbed several coffees with the designers that was in the in-house design team at my company and as well as outside. So I think one way, I remember also cold emailing some designers that was way out in the companies that I had looked at and had aspirations in joining. They didn't always reply, which is totally fine. But I think just, you know, going out there and putting yourself out there, whether that's grabbing coffee in person or yeah, asking for like just genuinely asking for advice over LinkedIn or, or social media is a good start. That's really great. I actually did both of them throughout my career and career change as well. And I really like what you said about how the relationship with you and the sponsor evolved naturally. I think oftentimes we also like make it harder for ourselves by, you know, cold emailing all these people when we have all these existing resources around us. So I really encourage the listeners to kind of think about who is already currently in their network that they can like tap into and build that relationship. Yeah. And a person that made a huge difference for me, it was like my mentor slash sponsor. I actually met him at like a marketing panel in college. And then we started like working on a project together. And then I reached out to him because he was really funny and like sarcastic and I thought he was like the best panelist out of the four. I had no idea that it would evolve into like such an amazing mentor relationship. Um, He is also one of the reasons why I never really had to interview at companies. He like knew this, um, his son knew the president of this uh, marketing startup agency in New York during when I was back in college. So he connected me with him and then I was able to like buy bypass the whole interview process and was basically like hired as an intern. And it's not to say that it was sleazy or anything. It's just that I've worked with him on projects and he saw me what I was capable of. So he made that connection, like you said, because when they see value in you, they're happy to connect you with other people. Another example is the cold emailing too. Um, When I was changing careers, I think this might be interesting for our listeners to hear. Um, I actually cold email like a lot of, I was thinking about becoming an instructional designer. So like a person who creates learning experiences. So I would like cold email people at like Coursera, Udacity, and Stanford. And then actually got coffee with a couple of the instructional designers there. And then even though I had no experience at that time, um, I was working on this learning project and reaching out to them was part of this learning project. And, you know, like you said, like learning more about the space, asking for advice. And then they were like, Hey, at the end of this, like two month sabbatical, create a sabbatical that you're taking. Like, let us know if you're looking for a job. So they basically kind of like already offered a position for me, even though I didn't have the experience, which is, I think a really great thing to know that like not having enough experience can be a myth in the sense that if you show your potential and your initiative like you have, then sometimes you can bypass that. Yeah, definitely. To your first point, I resonate a lot with that because I think looking back on my career, all of the the strongest relationships or the mentors that I gained throughout the process were all built from initial like working relationships or people that you know, you naturally were brought together, you may be working on different things or different roles. um, But throughout that working relationship, you build that trust and foundation. And when they see the value that you bring, they naturally um, really want to help you out in your own career. And they will actually reach out um, and say, you know, what can I, what can I provide or help with? And what is your experience with opting into opportunities along the way? How does that look like? Because I think oftentimes there are opportunities, but if we don't look out for them or if we don't recognize them, then it can just easily pass by us. In terms of opportunities, I think one large part when that came up um, and just always kind of opting in and um, leaning forward into opportunities, even ones where, you know, I felt like I could be picky with was the beginning points when you know those initiatives came up and those opportunities to um, work on various illustration projects i remember some of them being more obscure or things that i wasn't sure whether i could do 
but ended up being, you know, there, there were some pivotal um, projects that you always think back on that really led you to other opportunities and one door kind of led to another. So thinking back, I think that was a very, just even though I was hesitant on some some asks, whether that was, you know, I didn't really feel like it fit my skill set or things that I wasn't super interested in. In the end, it did lead me to, you know, getting more exposure and getting more experience and just practice out there and eventually leading to more opportunities and closer relationships with those mentors, like I said. Um, and the other part I would say is the whole interview process. It's It can be very daunting um, in the first couple interviews and talking to recruiters, talking to recruiting or talking to design managers. And it's very easy to kind of close yourself off in the beginning. I remember having a lot of doubt on whether, you know, these were companies, some of them were, you know, smaller companies that I never heard of. Some of them were really big companies that, you know, I thought I I would work there maybe in five or 10 years, but, oh, I already have this conversation opening up with them. So, um, you know, should I wait until I have more experience to do it? Or should I talk to them right now? A lot of those questions were floating in my head. I think in terms of opting in and just being open to interviewing and, and talking with them, even though um, a lot of those doors will close and you know, opportunities won't always work out in your favor. And that's totally okay. And those are learning experiences. So for me, I think going through more interviews, um, especially in, in the design field, there's almost every interview process has some sort of portfolio review or design challenge. And going through multiples of those had really, really helped me land uh, the eventual job that I did get. That makes a lot of sense. Power of yes and practice makes perfect. Do you have a couple examples or maybe one example of an opportunity that you were scared of or that there was like fear around it? Maybe, you know, you thought that it was like way out of your league or zone and that that you said yes to, because I feel like that oftentimes is a really great learning and growing experience too. I'll say, I mean, the thing that pops up at the top of my head is taking on um, my current job right now. I think for me, so fast forwarding a little bit, I had, you know, learned more from a design team and build up more confidence in my own skills. And then I started, I knew I wanted to kind of um, take on bigger challenges and just push my learning to another level again. And uh, this opportunity came up. And even though I just want to put it in a note that even though this was kind of my second or third time looking for a design job, um, it still wasn't easy. There were a lot of opportunities or um, I did take uh, a long time to go through the job process again and knowing more of what I wanted and trying to figure out that right fit. So being the first um, in-house designer at the startup at the time, it was about 30 people um, or less than 30 people. And currently it's been, uh, we've just grown to over 50. So I think being just that one person within a much larger team, setting precedence on, you know, how design's going to be built up in this company, as well as um, creating those basic resources and figuring out, you know, how does the team work better with the developers and with the product managers? I think a lot of my imposter syndrome really kicked in when, I think even before when, you know, I was talking to them during interviews, in my head, I was always like, okay, do I want more? I knew I want to take a big leap, but do I want to go to, you know, a much smaller design team where I can build up more of that skill set and continue learning? Or um, this is definitely a bigger challenge to jump into a completely open water where the rest of the team was maybe not as versed about in design. But overall, I'm, I'm super glad that I made this decision. More tangibly in the end, it actually did come down to two opportunities that were a bit different. But I had reached out and talked to the mentors and the people that were around me at the time. And multiples of them had said, you know, this is you know, you're early on in your career, um, why not take the challenge? And I think I do, I, I have learned so much in the process. And that was one that was very rewarding to kind of go mm. forward with. Yeah, that's awesome that you said yes to this fearful thing. And look at where you're now. And I'm sure there's so much growth that you're experiencing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and now let's talk about being an Asian American, right? And making that transition from engineering and graduating from a highly technical school to something that's more, you know, creative around de 
design how how was that experience like and how was it like for you and your parents because I think that's often the question that comes up yeah um I'd say growing up my my parents have always provided me a lot of opportunities sent me to a lot of classes and try to get me as much exposure into different fields as as possible so in that way I was really I'm, I'm really thankful that they had kind of allowed me all those opportunities um, to try out different things and stretch my creative side as a kid. I also remember that my, my dad, I think, had always nudged me into going into his field, which is in the biological sciences, um, and into doing research, and very specifically stem cell research at one point. Um, when I was pretty young, he would, so he worked at the National Institutes of Health for a very, very long time. And he had brought me as a kid, I think, after school. Um, so he had a very unique working schedule where he would actually work pretty late into the night and go back into work sometimes after dinner. And he would be really adamant on bringing me and showing me like uh, what he was doing at the time, working with these really complex and cool electron microscopes. And I remember being pretty hesitant. I went with him as a kid because I was um, you know, curious in the beginning, but then it started looking like the same and seeing, you know, his workplace and wasn't super exciting to me anymore. <laughs> um, and I remember having, getting into kind of, uh, getting into arguments with him about, you know, why do I have to do this? I have homework to do. I don't want to, I don't want to you know, see you work on this. And so I think throughout middle and high school, I did feel a little bit of pressure to mm. do something that was, you know, even if it wasn't in his field to do something that was just as prestigious or, you know, to make them proud, I always, always did feel that pressure. And I think in college, my dad had continued to kind of provide me with internship opportunities and help, you know, help me get those, knowing that it, it was kind of hard for me to find civil engineering opportunities or during the summer at that time. So he had continued to help me, whereas I was more and more trying to like push that away. Like I, I know what I'm doing and I want to do this by myself kind of mentality. And so I think finding my first job after college was a big sign to me that, hey, even if I don't know exactly what I want to do, I know I have some skills that I can apply to the business world or to consulting. So I think more and more after my parents saw that, um, they kind of just let me off. Um, allow me to do my own thing and have had trust in me that I would go after and find the right opportunity for me, even if it wasn't what um, my dad had wanted me to do in the first place. So I say it was kind of a gradual change and a shift in mindset, but I definitely did feel that pressure growing up. And that pressure also had led me to, you know, figuring out my own things um, and making sure that I, you know, I had somewhat of a plan in mind. So it sounds like they were relatively like hands-off slash supportive as you were transitioning into design. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I think, yeah, I think a lot of the time um, when I was figuring things out at Deloitte, I kind of kept it not necessarily under wraps um, on purpose, but just, you know, until I had something figured out. Yeah. Eventually when I told them, I think it did come across fine and they're they're very supportive um and trying to understand what product design was even <laughs> it's so hard to explain right <laughs> yeah or just the product field in general and um tech projects and things like that so yeah i think that in general i was i'm very grateful that they are supportive and pretty hands-off in the process Mm. And what you said about keeping things under wraps really resonated with me because I always felt like I had to figure everything out myself first, like have a clear plan before I could like tell my parents because it felt like they were expecting very concrete things. And so they were never really like quite involved in my brainstorming process or in my exploration process. And I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I actually told them that I'm planning to go to Asia in February. So I'm going to be there like traveling and working from there from February to June. And that was really the first time I involved them in the decision making process. And I think surprisingly, so they were uh, they were supportive. And I think they just really appreciated being informed rather than after the fact, like, oh, I bought my plane tickets. I'm going to go now, by the way. Here's this. Yeah. 
yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I think even if I did bring up, hey, I think, you know, if, if I was earlier on in the process, be like, I think I want to do this, but I'm not very sure. And, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know, what I want to take this to the next step. I, I was doubtful that they had, you know, I, I think it would just only worry them. And I think that's something that probably resonates with a lot of Asian American families and parents. Mm, yeah. Sounds really awesome that you guys, you and have built this trust over time with their parents and they've seen you, you know, go after all these things and you achieving success in them. And one of the questions that I ask all my guests is, how did you define success in the past versus what does success mean to you now? I think I defined success in the past, especially during college and pre-college years, um, was, you know, finding a career that had prestige within that Asian American community and something that made enough money and was something, you know, that my parents were proud of basically. In the community that I grew up in, I know my parents would frequently talk with other Asian American parents about what their kid was doing. And that was something that always came up in my childhood growing up. So I wanted to do something that, you know, they would be proud of. I think over time, um, that had changed more into really a focus on myself and what brings me that self-worth and, and figuring out, you know, what's the bridge between still what, you know, what is an honorable career and something that I'm really proud of doing and contributing back into society and what's the bridge between that and um, what I really enjoy doing. Like, what's the, what's, what do you spend your time on when you're outside of work, outside of work hours, that kind of thing. So. I think design for me was something that fit both of those buckets and still into the future. I'm not sure um, where that's going to go eventually, but knowing that, you know, success is more about what makes me feel good ultimately, what do I really enjoy doing, but also what's the contribution that I really want to uh, want to make and see grow in the community. Mm, that's so good. And it's so awesome to see you in this more creative career. So how did you know that it was right for you? Now looking back, like, was there a moment or turning point that stood out for you that's like, yeah, this is the career that I need to be in right now. And I'm really happy that I am. I would say looking back, there are multiple small moments probably um, when that became more solidified in my head. I think the very first one I touched on was being asked or being, you know, people reaching out to me to work on projects when they've seen the past work that I've done. And then more recently, I think just really hearing that feedback and support from the people that I was working with mm -hmm. uh, really made a difference. So I remember hearing, this was advice that was given to me from someone else, but it helps to really keep a document of all the kind of the kudos and the congratulations um, and the things that you get over time and you know you see how you've progressed in your career and what people really praise you and respect you for I think those are the things that you know sometimes a lot of the times I don't realize that mm -hmm. so I think reflecting on those words um, and getting those continuous kudos from my team really really helps mm, that's really good and another guest has referred to this as like the ego box. So basically like putting together like feedback, what other people have told you. And I think that's such a great exercise to take time to reflect and appreciate yourself and what you've done so far. Cause I think oftentimes we just do go, 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 go. And then it's great to just kind of create that time. I also, my coach has recommended me to like make an accomplish list so and like an appreciation list and I think it's especially great for people who are you know oftentimes like go 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 or are still working through feelings of enoughness that appreciation and gratitude is just so so important and makes so much of a difference yeah yeah it really does I'm also a huge book nerd so what career books have impacted you or do you have any career recommendations career books. I would say part of the self-learning process was some of mostly kind of design focused books in the beginning that also helped me throughout the process. Feel free to recommend a design book too because people who are listening are probably like wanting to go into design or something like that. Yeah so 
I think what helped me early on in my career was reviewing and reading certain design books. I think a lot of people who are getting into design have are probably heard of these books before, but The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman and also Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. I remember those were two of the first books that I had ordered when I was trying to figure things out and just learn about, more about the field in general. And otherwise, I'd say something that has been just as helpful as books is just reading people's uh, Medium articles and blogs on certain case studies. So one thing I remember specifically was some uh, an article that, that was passed on to me called um, Trends and Timescales, which talked about, it kind of broke down the success of your career is ultimately a combination of three things. It's how well you do, how well your company does, and then how well the overall industry performs. And it was just breaking that down. And the article itself was saying that the biggest factor in all of that is actually how the industry performs. So for me, that was that really came in handy when I was taking, considering to take the riskier decision and going into the crypto field, which is something that yeah, above the risk, there's also there's so many questions on where the whole space is going and whether these are you know rep, like actual use cases for crypto and for digital currency. So I think that was one thing that helped me in thinking of the bigger picture. That and aside from the career change, where we really focus on um, how well we do and how well we do in our role, there's also the bigger um, the bigger considerations that we also make in this process, which is what company do I go into and what industry? Mm, yeah. And I know cryptocurrency is really hot right now and coaching is actually like a super growing field industry right now. I think it's like the second biggest growing industry after tech. So that's something also great to consider for listeners, since I tend to work with a lot of like beginner coaches and people who open up their own businesses as well. I, I've also read Design of Everyday Things. I think it's just like a really great book too, for like psychology and just like appreciate everyday life, everyday things. Yeah. I remember like ready, reading it for fun on an airplane back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those books that a lot of, even a lot of non-designers just to start thinking about, yeah, the things that are, that go and seeing within design. Yeah. For someone who aspires to be, to go into design, what would you recommend as the first step that they take? So like an action item that they can do now to get started. Um, one thing to get started on within design, there's always that very critical portfolio, um, which I would think going through the process is actually almost more important than your resume. This is the portfolio is the place where you showcase, you know, all the past work that you've done, as well as go into great detail about, you know, how, what your design thought process was and why you made certain design decisions. Um, and it's probably like the first entry point into any design managers who's hiring to look at. So I think, honestly, the portfolio was a piece that I had stressed myself over a lot um, in the process, especially when you're going through that chicken or egg scenario where, you know, I don't have that critical projects to really write up a lot on yet early on in my career, but also I need to have that strong portfolio to get me in the door for these opportunities. So I think one thing is just, well, before that kind of opting into, you know, taking on that first design project, whether that's within your own company, whether even if it's not, you know, fully in the same discipline that you ultimately want to go into, if it's more on the visual side, whereas you want to do UX, um, it's still good to have that experience because you ultimately it's ultimately it's a collection of learning opportunities that you showcase. So I think the very first thing is, you know, uh, taking a look at what you've already done in your career and, you know, start recording and writing up your thought process and your decisions um, and what you learned throughout that project. And that's kind of the first project in your portfolio. Got it. And for people who aren't in a company where they're able to do these design projects and they need to do it on the side. I'm also like a huge fan of side projects. That's how I was able to change careers so fast. Um, how What would you recommend them start if they were to create a side project in their own free time? How, how should they go about it? Just the first step. Yeah, I think a good place to start is just looking at your own life or talking to friends around you um, or just people around you on What's something that something someone has complained about recently or that hasn't worked well for them? Oftentimes, a lot of those new projects or product ideas comes from 
you know, the biggest user pains. And more often than not, we feel a lot of this, we feel a lot of similar pains as the people around us. So I've seen a lot of side projects kind of evolve from this is, you know, something that I, I encountered during this process, during this existing experience that really did not go well and I want to fix it. And that's actually step one of any, you know, design kind of the UX methodology too, is doing research on your user and figuring out what that problem is, um, the user problem to solve. That's so good. You can be the user and create a side project um, based on the pains that you're experiencing. That's awesome. And lastly, what parting concrete advice do you have for those who are listening right now and they're, you know, contemplating whether they should go for that less traditional career? Yeah, the one thing that I would give is focus on learning as much as you can through the very tangible way. So whether that's taking classes or signing up for a boot camp um, or, you know, just like we said, tackling a side project, I think that's one of the most, the easiest things to start. And sometimes it can be the hardest, but sometimes we're blocking ourselves to do that. Um, or even just talking to friends or people that you look up to in that field. After going through that process, getting into the new role is just as much about showing others um, that you have the ability as it is feeling confident in your own abilities. Um, and that confidence will really come through during the interview stage. So it may not feel that way during the first interviews, but you know, you do more interviews for practice. And I really, I d really did feel like going through the interview process had helped me get stronger and eventually get to that first opportunity that really worked. I just think in general, we're all in this constant journey to learn in whatever we're doing. And one thing that I always like saying and something that I always keep in the back of my head is just to go and do great work and then everything else will kind of come and fall into place. Do what you love and really kind of do a good job at it and continuously learn. And the other things that you're looking for, kind of new opportunities will open up from that. Yeah, I think you brought up such a great point on how experience comes from doing and confidence comes from doing as well. And the first thing you can do is really, you know, do more research, get clarity around whatever feels unclear so that you know what to do and you can learn more about it. Yeah, for sure. And where can we find you for your advice, design portfolio, website? You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And my design portfolio is at yayu.design so y-a-y-o-u.design that's awesome we will i'll include those links in the show notes below and i really encourage the listeners to check out your website i took a peek at it and i really love the doodles that you had the doodle section um especially there was this, a couple of them there was this like ink brush swipe with like a face and I thought that was super, super cool. So really thank you, Yang, for coming on today and really sharing your advice around design, around self-learning, building relationships and creating your own creative path. Yeah, thank you so much. If you can think of one person in particular who would find today's message really helpful on their career change journey, please, please share this episode with them. It can make a huge difference. And as a big thank you for being here, one of the most common questions that I get is, how do I get unstuck? And so I put together a free guide that you can use to help you break out of the rut and start taking steps towards a career you love through a Get Unstuck side project. You can get that guide for free over at onemonthprojects.com slash get unstuck. Enjoy and see you next week.